Romans chapter 3, as we continue our series on the foundations of our faith. And up to this point, we've covered the doctrine of the Bible, uh, the Trinity, uh, the Son of God, the Spirit of God, and Lord willing, next week we'll be able to cover Father God. We'll talk about God our Father on Father's Day. And so it's going to be a special week next Sunday. Um, but this morning we dive into the doctrine of salvation. You know, most of you here today are probably already saved. You're already a Christian. And so as we talk about the doctrine of salvation, my prayer is that you would have even a greater understanding of what it means to be saved. And that you would have a greater appreciation of the fact that you are a miracle. That you are saved, that you are redeemed, that you are loved, that you are washed in the blood of the Lamb. Man, I, I pray that if you're a Christian, that we would walk away with that. And then if you're here today and you're not a Christian, I pray that today would be the day of salvation. That today you would make a decision that will change your destiny. You know, our prayer is that you would understand the great love that God has for you. Whoever you are, no matter what you've done, there's no sin that you've committed that the blood of Jesus can't wash away. But you have to make that decision. And today, that's our prayer, that seeds would be planted, that seeds would be watered, and that there would even be a harvest today. You know, as we look at this, I'll never forget when I got saved, the day that, you know, I accepted Christ into my life. You know, prior to that, I kind of grew up a little bit in the church. I, I knew a little bit about religion, about God in the distance. But I never really had a personal relationship with God. You know, for me, and all of our stories are different. For me, my life up to that point was sex, drugs, and rock and roll. You know, and I had gone to church and, uh, you know, I did the things that they told me to do. But the truth is that if I were, would have died... Uh, in that condition, I wouldn't have gone to heaven because I didn't really have a relationship with God. I wasn't saved. And so, you know, prior to that, you know, and, I'll, and I can't tell you guys my whole story, but, man, I, I started drinking when I was really young. Even when I was seven years old, I remember getting the little, little cans of cores. My dad would buy them for me, and we would go into the motels here, and, you know, he would get the tall cans, I would get the small cans, um, a lot of things happened in my life, you know. Uh, my dad was a heroin addict for 40 years, and so this was our life. But, but, but then the, the day came, August 20th, 1989, when I said yes to Jesus. And the God of the universe came into my life. The God of the universe, the one who created everything, he came into my life that day and I, I never drank again. I, I never got high again. I waited until I m was married before I, I, I slept, you know, with a, a woman. I mean, that uh, sexual purity instantly happened. You know, prior to becoming a Christian, I used to cuss like a sailor. But, man, instantly, overnight, man, he took that away. Can you imagine that? It wasn't me. It was God. You know, and, and so when you look at that, how did it happen overnight? It was a miracle. The, the day that I got saved, God came into my life, and I felt, I felt the perpetual presence of the Holy Spirit 
in my life. I felt like I was walking on the clouds. And I'm not saying that that happens to everyone, but it happens to some people. And the, the thing about it is that you don't have to be necessarily a, a, a drug addict or a drinker. At the end of the day, you might be a moral person. You might be an upright person. You might be a religious person. But you still need Jesus. You still need that day where you can point to and you can say, yes, I made a decision that changed my destiny. And I believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. And you can do that today. And in a twinkling of an eye, your destiny will change. And God will come into your life. And he will give you the gift of salvation. He will give you heaven when you die. And that's what this study is about. It's about salvation. It's amazing what, what God has done. You know, when I did a Google search on the word salvation, I got 141 million results, and I, and I read them all. Um, <laughs> but the first thing that popped up is a dictionary definition. It means preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. It's a pretty good definition. Preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin, or loss. But then right under that, still in the dictionary section, it, it had a, the word theology, and so this means it was a theological definition. And salvation is defined as this, deliverance from sin and its consequences, believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. And let me read that again. Deliverance from sin and its consequences, believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. And, and I like to tell people basically the same thing, that salvation means we are saved from the power and the penalty of sin. And we're going to see that in our study today and how huge that is. And we'll talk about salvation. We'll talk about why. Like, why do we need to be saved? Why are you talking about this? We'll talk about what. Like, what is it exactly We'll talk about how, that's very important, how are you saved, and then we'll close with just a, a few thoughts. But first of all, why? Why salvation? Look at Romans chapter 3 in verse 23, where the Bible says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Did, did Mother Teresa sin? Yeah. Did Billy Graham sin? Yes. Everyone have, has sinned. H have you sinned? You guys sin a lot. I know some of you, right? How many of you here have sinned? Raise your hand. Raise your hand if you've sinned, okay? If you didn't raise your hand, you're sinning right now. You're... The Bible says, the Bible says, not many says, the Bible says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. So you go over to Romans chapter 6. And, and, and look what it says here in verse 23. It says, for the wages of sin is death. And so we've all sinned, but the wages of sin is death. And then that Bible says the payoff is death. Another translation says the pension is death. And the death that Paul is speaking about here in Romans chapter 6 is not just a physical death, but it's a spiritual death. Sin immediately brought death to the spiritual part of who we are and what sin does is it separates us from God. 
This is why we need to be saved because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages, the payment, the pension of sin is death. And it's not just a physical death, it's a spiritual death in which we're separated from God. You know, we need to be careful that we don't buy the lie. Have you guys ever heard some people say, well, what's the big deal, Manny? What's the big deal, Pastor? I mean, I'm just human. Everybody sins. Listen, it might not be a big deal to you, but it's a big deal to God. God is holy. God is pure. God is righteous. God is sinless. God is spotless. And what we find is that all of us have sinned, and you're like, well, what is sin? It's falling short of the glory of God. You're missing the mark. We've all done it. We do it every day. The wages of sin is death. But what we find right here is that it's a big thing. It separates us from God. It's not just a physical death. It's a spiritual death. You know, there's a really interesting verse in Isaiah 59 and verse 2. It says, but your iniquities have separated you from your God. And your sins have hidden his face from you so that he will not hear. I mean, that's the last thing in the world I want is separation from God, right? But that's what sin does. You know, God had warned the first man and woman, Adam and Eve, in the Garden of Eden not to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil lest they die. You know, imagine that. There's all these trees in the garden, and God said, you can have them all. There's the mangoes. Look at how good they are. Imagine what they were like before the fallen state. You can eat any of these, but just that one right there, you can't eat of. The day that you eat it, literally in the Hebrew it says, Dying, you shall die. And so we read in Genesis 2, 16 and 17, And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat, for in the day that you eat of it you shall surely die. The day that they ate, they didn't die physically, but in one sense they died spiritually. See, Adam and Eve chose to disobey, and as a result, sin entered our world. And you guys, you see all the craziness that's going on in the world today, all the wars, all the atrocities, all the broken families, all the things that, man, they just, it's just crazy. What we see going on in the world, it's not because of God. It's because of sin. Sin has entered the world. And this is why we need salvation. Right? We're sinners, and this is why. So you're asking, well, well, what exactly is salvation? What is it? Um, and let me give you three things. Because one of the things that you'll find when you're reading the Bible is that these things are not easy to outline. You know, you, you, you can't summarize this. It's like trying to grasp the wind. But there are some principles that we can hold on to. What is salvation? Number one is justification. Number two, after being justified, we're sanctified. And then number three, we'll see that we're glorified. This is what salvation is. And so we read here, and we're still in Romans, but this time go back to chapter 3, and look what it says in verse 24. It, it says, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. So, so why do we need to be saved? Because we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. And it's not just a physical death, it's a spiritual death. It's, a, it's an eternal death in which we're separated from God. Why? Okay, okay, Manny, so, so what is salvation? Well, number one, it's, it's being justified. 
It says right here that we are being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The word justified is found 33 times in the Bible and 10 times in the book of Romans. And what it is is a legal declaration of righteousness in God's sight. So if you can, have you guys ever gone to court? Any of you guys ever gone to court and stood before the judge? You probably wouldn't raise your hand on that one, huh? But you know, if I could just say it like this, like kind of like in one day, you will stand before God, the judge, the judge of the universe. One day you're going to be in his holy presence, in that courtroom of our creator, right? And what justification is, is a legal term. It's a legal declaration of righteousness for us. What we find in God's holy sight, this is a declaration in which God says that you are without sin. That when you become a Christian, there is this declaration of righteousness. Have you ever had to ask yourself that question? You're, you're wondering whether or not you should do something. You're wondering, is that legal or not? Can I do that? You know, um, is, is it legal? I mean, you know, and you may think, well, Manny, I, I look at you and you seem like a nice person. I'm sure you're good. And I thank you for saying that. But listen, at the end of the day, it's not you that I will stand before one day. It's not me that you will stand before one day. You will stand before God. He has eyes of omniscience that sees everything about us. He scrutinizes us and he sees everything. And what we find justification is a legal term in God's vernacular that says that we are declared righteous in his presence. Watch, if you would, turn to Numbers chapter 23. And if you're wondering, well, well what does it look like? How can that be in, where, in which God, because at the end of the day, it has to be legal before the Lord, right? In which God would declare me to be righteous. You know, the book of Numbers is an interesting book. And this section right here is fascinating in which it talks about the prophet Balaam and how this one guy, Balak, he was a king of Moab. He hired him to come and curse the people of Israel. And so, long story, you know, Balaam shouldn't have gone with them, but he does end up going. Balaam is actually a prophet of the Lord. He says, but I can't curse them. I can only bless them because of the people of God. And so one day he's there and he's prophesying. He's speaking over the children of Israel. And look what we read in Numbers 23 in verse 21. It says, he has not observed iniquity in Jacob nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. So when God looked at Israel, it says right there in verse 21, he doesn't see any iniquity. He doesn't see any wickedness. And so if you've read your Bible, you're going to be like, wait a minute, time out. I've read my Bible these, this group of people, they were sinners. You can go back to when the children of Israel, you know, came out of 
uh, Egypt and how they complained and they disobeyed and they doubted and they misrepresented. They were guilty of idolatry. They were guilty of adultery, sexual sin. There's Korah's rebellion. There's Sabbath violations. They, they took God out of the equation when they went into the, you know, the spy out the land. There's jealousy, issues of drunkenness. There was a lot of things that they had done wrong that were clearly sin. But when God looked at them, he saw no sin. And that is what justification is for us. It's a legal declaration of righteousness in God's holy sight. That when, when he looks at us, even though we have fallen short, even though we have failed miserably, he sees no iniquity. He sees no wickedness. He sees no wrong. And you wonder, well, how can that be? How can that be? Look what he says right there. He has not observed iniquity in Jacob, nor has he seen wickedness in Israel. The Lord his God is with him. That's how. And the shout of a king is among them. And you know what that is? What, you're like, well, what's he talking about? It's just kind of filling in the gaps. No, it's not. These are details there. What he's talking about is how Jesus is with us and the shout of a king. The shout of a king. What's he talking about? He's talking about the time when Jesus was on the cross and he shouted. And do you remember what Jesus said when he shouted? He said, it is finished. And the crown that our king wears is a crown of thorns where he died for us. And as a result of that, when we, when we get saved, we experience this thing called justification. It's a legal declaration of righteousness in God's holy sight in which God sees us just as if we'd never sinned. God sees us without wickedness, without wrong. God sees us clothed in the righteousness of of Jesus. Let me ask you a question. Do you want that? Do you want that when you stand before God? That's what we want, huh? When we get saved, that's what we get. Justification. The second word is a sanctification or, or to be sanctified. And so for that, turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. And there's a lot of different things that we could, you know, describe salvation in. And, and, but these words are, are really like core words. And the reason why, and I could go to a lot of different scriptures that talk about sanctification. But part of the reason I like this is because the Corinthians, they were a very imperfect church. They were, you know, a church that had their struggles. They had their issues. But still, we read here uh, in, in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 1, in verse 2, it says, To the church of God, which is at Corinth, to those who are sanctified in Christ Jesus. And so when you get saved, um, number one, you're justified. Legal declaration of righteousness. Number two, you're sanctified. And what sanctified means is that you're set apart. You are his, exclusively his. It comes from the Old Testament when that you would, they would take the cups and, you know, they, these cups were only supposed to use for the temple, sacred use. That's who you are when you become a Christian. You are sanctified. You're set apart. 
you know, when we think about being sanctified, I, can I just say this, that without God, your life will fall apart. You will come apart at the seams. It, it might seem like things are good, but it doesn't matter how good you are, you're not good enough to go to heaven on your own. You know, God can do this in any life. God can sanctify us the moment we give our life to Christ. We experience the whole beautiful aspect of being set apart. You know, out of, uh, out of 8 billion people on planet Earth, how many are sanctified? Jesus said the road to heaven is narrow and there are few who find it. Think about it. You have found this life. You are set apart. You are different. You have God in you. You understand the love of the cross. The whole world is going that way. You're going this way. You're different. You're set apart. We weren't always that way, but God can do a work in every single life. Look what we read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 6. Look what it says in verse 9. Paul says, do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. No, there, you don't, don't be deceived. And I know you're hearing it from every angle possible. I mean, billboards and advertisements and social media and television, movies, music, and every way they're telling you that it's okay to do this stuff. But, but what we read right here, Paul says, don't be deceived. You know, none of these individuals, he says, will enter, will inherit the kingdom of God. And so we have to be really careful with that. You know, sometimes people say, well, you know, don't say anything to them. Don't have to warn them. You don't have to tell them that's wrong if you really love them. But if you really love them, then you've got to warn them. You have to tell them, listen, you know, if you do this, if this is you, then you're not going to heaven. Don't be deceived. You won't inherit the kingdom of God. And I know we might look at the list right there and you might say, well, I'm not an adulterer or whatever homosexuality is the worst sin. Listen, he, he puts covetousness there too. So, so, you know, he's saying, you know, don't be deceived. These people won't go to heaven. But, he, but he, look what he says in verse 11. And such were some of you. But you were washed. But you were sanctified. There it is. But you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Isn't it cool how God can change any life? Did you know, and I know that you guys um, probably heard my story, but man, I always, I always just am amazed at the fact that my father was a heroin addict for 40 years. My father was homeless. He lived on Skid Row. And someone might look at him, and there's no hope for him. There's no way that that man can ever be saved. But did you, you want to know something? Jesus Christ came into my father's life. Jesus Christ set him free. Jesus Christ saved him, lifted him up, 
broke the chains of addiction. And now, for the last 15 years, I talk with my dad on the phone, and we fellowship about the Lord Jesus Christ. And not only does he have a home now, he has a home in heaven. Isn't that amazing? But you have to make a decision that will change your destiny. I don't know if you guys knew this or not, but the Fiji Islands, uh, at one time, that the, the Fiji Islands were filled with cannibals. You guys know what a cannibal is? A cannibal is a person who eats other people. And I, I, if you ever do research on it, it'll turn your stomach, and they tell you about all the details of what they used to do. Basically, uh, their mentality was, like, if you're my enemy... Like the, the best way that I could get to you, that I could defeat you, is by eating you. That was their mentality. There was one chief that had eaten close to a thousand people. Not only uh, would they eat their enemies, they would eat people that they were jealous of because they had the perception that said, if I eat you, then I also get the attributes. I get your intelligence. I get your knowledge. I get your characteristics. And so it was a very, very bizarre place. So, um, you know, this was the Fiji Islands. And so you might think, man, there's no hope for them, man. They'll never get saved, right? And uh, if you were a missionary, you'd probably say, I don't want to go to the Fiji Islands, right? But missionaries went there. Missionaries went there to try to reach them. And missionaries were eaten by them. Okay, you read the whole story, late 1800s. It's a crazy story. But one day, there was another a missionary. His name was James Calvert. Him and his wife decided to go to the Fiji Islands to reach out because at the end of the day, the way that life works is, you know, it may not make sense to anybody else, but you follow Jesus. If he gives you marching orders and where to go, you go. And they heard a call, and they sensed a call to the Fiji Islands. And so when the captain was dropping them off in the boat, because he had tried to talk them out of it the whole way, he said, don't go there. Don't go there. They eat people there. You'll die. And James Calvert said, I've already died. As a Christian, I've taken on my cross, denied myself, and I'm following him. That's the life of a Christian. And so, praise God, you know, he did go. They ended up becoming missionaries there in the Fiji Islands for 17 years. And you want to know what happened to these people who at one time were cannibals? They became a, a, a people group that had the highest percentage of Christians in their nation. Imagine that. And so we look at the list and we're like, man, these people, they're way out there. But what we find is that when you get saved, you get sanctified, you get set apart. And sanctification means that God begins to change your life. And that's what ended up happening there, and that's what ended up happening to us. And that's what God is doing in our life as Christians. None of us here have arrived yet. God is working on you, and he's changing you, and he's making you more and more like Jesus. I'll be the first to admit, I love the way that you're all unique. Some of you are weird. I like that about you, man. We're different. I mean, we don't want to be like other people. God made us all unique and special and, and everything. We all have our personalities, right? Thank God for the variety that's represented here, right? But the one thing, even though we're different in our personality, our character, our character is being conformed into the image of Christ. 
And that's what sanctification is, right? It, it's positional and that we're set apart and it's practical and that we're being made more and more like him. Hebrews 10 verse 14, it says, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. And so it's a process of sanctification and he's making us more and more like Christ. So, so why salvation? Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and the wages of sin is death. What is salvation? Well, salvation, number one, is to be justified. Number two is to be sanctified. And then number three is to be glorified. And for that, let's turn to Romans chapter 8. And notice what we read in verse 30. Romans 8, verse 30. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. Glorified. See, that's salvation. We're, we're, we're immediately justified. We're sanctified. We're glorified. And you want to know what glorified ultimately is speaking of? It's speaking of the fact that we will one day go home to that place in, in heaven in glory. And that's so cool. When you read Ephesians chapter 2, it says we're already seated in the heavenly places. Heaven. Do you ever think about heaven? How awesome it's going to be. We're going to see God. Think about how tall I'll be in heaven, man. I don't think I'm going to have gray hair. I think it's going to be jet black. It's going to be amazing. I'm going to be buff. I'm going to be able to eat pizza in heaven, and it's going to be good for you. Now, there's no pizza on earth that's good for you. I'm sorry, because sometimes people say, well, try the cauliflower crust. Listen, it doesn't work for me, okay? <laughs> but heaven, one day we'll be there. No more sin, no more suffering, no more sickness, no more separation, no more Satan, no more tears, no more death, no more sorrow. And that's what happens when you get saved. The moment, the day you make a decision to follow Jesus Christ, you are justified just as if you'd never sinned. You are sanctified, set apart for him, and in this process of being made like him, and you are glorified. And there is this aspect in which we're already there, and one day we'll be home in heaven in glory. Even though life is hard, you know, 2 Corinthians 4.17, it says, For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding an eternal weight of glory. You know, look what it says here in Romans 8, if you go back to verse 18. Because I know life is hard, but this helps us. This hope of heaven helps us. Paul says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory, the glory which shall be revealed in us. Do you want a home in heaven? Listen, I love life. I love music. I love love. I love food. I love my family. I thank God for this life. Man, it's an amazing life that we have. But this is not our home. You are fish out of water. One day, you can be home in heaven. It's, it's this thing called glorification. You can experience that. Because this is what salvation is. 
You know, according to Philippians chapter 3, 20 and 21, our citizenship is in heaven. And when our Savior returns, he will transform our lowly bodies, the Bible says, to be like his glorious body. You know, although it has not yet been revealed what we shall be, we know that when he returns in great glory, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. You know, some people, when they think of heaven, they think, well, it's going to be boring, man. You know, because all we're going to be doing is we're going to be on a cloud, you know, playing a harp, right? No way, absolutely not. Did you know in heaven there's going to be salsa? Did you guys know that? I mean, you know, one of the things I, I've been just really studying heaven a lot lately is that, it, you know, it's not, it's not like life on earth is going to be better than heaven. Absolutely not. There will be different nationalities. There's going to be Thai food. There's going to be Mexican food. Imagine the enchiladas there. I mean, there's going to be... Um, you know, all the different, you know, music, um, varieties. I mean, when we think of heaven, you have to understand that it's what we were created for. You, you know, a lot of people think, well, I'm a citizen, I'm an American citizen, praise God for that. But if you're a Christian, you're also a citizen of heaven. And so you're wondering, well, what is salvation? Well, it's justification, it's sanctification, and, and I know that that's the one where we think of most. It's, it's glorification. Listen, the truth is that I might go out today and I'll, I'll be on my way, man, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get some grub because we're going to have Janet's and our overseers meeting, and I'm going down there, and I'm, and I'm, I'm abiding in the laws of the land, but for whatever reason, some guy, maybe he's a drunk driver, he runs a red light, and he smashes into my car, and I might die instantly. And someone might cry and they might say, oh, poor Manny. No, you don't, don't weep for me. I will be in glory. I will be in heaven. And I love being here with you, but I would rather be there with him. The only reason I, I, I'm blessed about having my life on earth is because I know there's work to do. There's work to do in my family, in my community, and to the ends of the earth, Right? But I look forward to my home in heaven. And that should be our heart. You know, C.S. Lewis, he said, if you aim for earth, you lose earth and heaven. But if you aim for heaven, you get both. This is what salvation is. And so you might wonder, well, that sounds pretty cool. I actually would like to go to heaven. Um, how can I go? How can someone like me go to heaven? And again, there's a lot of things that we can talk about here, you know? I mean, there's a lot of things that when you read the Bible, it's not easy to pinpoint certain things. But let me just share with you a couple of things about how it happens. Number one, it's got to be God. You know, God is sovereign and people are responsible. And so when you're talking about salvation, you're talking about the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. That, you know, God is the only one who can save a soul, right? You know, Isaiah chapter 12 and verse 2, it says, Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid, for Yah, the Lord, is my strength and my song. He also has become my salvation. He is my Savior. When you talk about salvation, please first talk about God, that he's given us his grace, his unmerited favor. You know, if we, if we get, you know, uh, justice, then, then we go to hell, which is just a holding tank that will then one day be cast into the lake of fire. If we, get, if we get mercy, it's God saying, okay, I won't punish you for your sins. But if we get grace, what God says is, I'll give you 
I'll not only wash away your sins, but I will give you this place called heaven, right? So it begins with the sovereignty of God. But then secondly, there is the responsibility of people. And here's where, you know, for you, if you're here and you're a Christian and you're going to go tell people about Jesus, you need to tell them these things. And, and if you're here and you're not a Christian, please, I beg of you, listen. This is how you can go to heaven. Number one, admit you're a sinner. It's ABC. It's really simple. Thank God he didn't make it complicated. He did all the hard work when he died on a cross and he was nailed there on Calvary and he shed his blood and he rose again. Jesus did all the hard work. All you have to do, number one, is admit you're a sinner. If we say that we have no sin, the Bible says in 1 John chapter 1, verse 8, uh, then we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So in one sense, Jesus is a lawyer who only takes cases where the guilty person is honest and pleads guilty. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, number one, just admit, I'm a sinner. Number two, believe. Right here, right now, believe. For God so loved the world, the Bible says in John 3.16, that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. The Bible says in Acts 16.31, so they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Because they asked, well, how can I be saved? He said, it's very simple, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. He says, you and your household. You know, how do I get to heaven? Admit you're a sinner. Believe and who Jesus is and what he's done. You know, John chapter 20 and verse 31, it says, but these are written, this Bible was written, the Gospel of John was written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. All my life, I was chained to sin. I could not break the, the chains of addiction. I could not fill the void in my heart. I tried everything the world had to offer. I thought there was no hope for me. I was religious. Before I was ever a Christian, I had read the entire Bible. But I still did not know the Lord. You know, if I were to die then, I didn't have the peace and assurance that I would go to heaven. Why? Because I, would, I wouldn't have. And so, you know, one day, I was for me, it was August 20th, 1989. I'll never forget that day. It feels like it was yesterday. It was one day. It was a day just like today where I heard the truth of the gospel of the love of God. And I said, yes. Yes, Lord. Come into my life. And this is why it's hard to describe it. You know, we'll believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, you know, ask Jesus into your life. Ask him into your heart. Believe in him and who he is and what he's done. It's, it's simple, not just intellectual, you know, in the brain. Because if it's just in the brain, it's not going to help you. It has to be in the heart. Admit you're a sinner. Believe in Jesus. Believe in who he is and what he's done. And then the ABC is then confess Christ to be the Lord of your life. You know, you, you can't come to the Lord and say, yeah, Lord, I'll, I'll follow you, but at the same time, man, I want to do my thing. You know, and I understand sin has a, a hold on us, but if you give your life to Christ, he not only will give you the power over sin, he will even begin to change your desires. All I can say is there is nothing 
like having God in your life. But you have to choose. Religion won't save you. The, the church won't save you. You have to make a decision. You know, Ephesians 2, it says, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that not of yourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. You can't stand before God one day and said, Well, I was baptized and that saved me, or I you know, went through my first Holy Communion and sacraments, or I was religious, I went to church. No, because those are works. I was a good person. It's not of works. It's by grace through faith in Christ. And you want to know what Jesus will do? He'll come and he'll lift the burden. And you will experience a love that is not found in this world. He's knocking on the door of your heart. And all you have to do is let him in. You see, that, that's how we're saved. We confess him as, 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 the, as the Lord of our life. You know, there's no other way. I mean, you may think, well, I'm going to go this other way. No, there's no other way. John 14, 6, he said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. The book of Acts, chapter 4, verse 12, it says, Nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. This is how you're saved. Call upon the name of Jesus. You know, Aliyah was singing it earlier. Call upon the name of the Lord. When you do that, and you can do that right here, right now, you can do it right here. Yes, Jesus. Yes, come into my life. Yes, I believe in who you are and what you've done. You can do that. And in a moment of time, it changes your eternity. God comes in and washes away all your sins. The Holy Spirit comes and lives inside of you, and he changes your life. Let me give you a few closing thoughts before we have communion. When you're really saved, true faith will bear fruit and have works. And so when you are genuinely converted by the power of the Holy Spirit, your life will change. Maybe you're here today and you've come to church for the last 20 years. Does that mean you're automatically saved? No, huh? Maybe you never really placed your faith in Christ. You know, C.H. Spurgeon said this, a faith that doesn't change my behavior will never change my destiny. Are you still the same as when you first came to Christ? Then maybe you're not really saved, and that's why you have to make sure that it's not just a belief in your head, but in your heart. So true faith will, will change us. There will be fruit. You will know a tree, Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, verse 15 through 20. You're going to know it by its fruit, James said in chapter 2, verse 18. The second thing I want to say about, about being a Christian and experiencing salvation is that we must never stop believing or abiding. And so um, a lot of people, like, they like to talk about Calvinism, Arminianism. Let me ask you a question, Manny. Once you get saved, uh, are you eternally secure? And, and I would say yes. I would say yes. 
But at the same time, I, I would say, but, but please, keep believing. Keep believing until the day you die. You know, people would try to, you know, get Chuck Smith, and they would say, hey, what do you believe, Calvinism or Arminianism? Once saved, always saved. Or do you believe that today I can go out and sin and lose my salvation? And Chuck Smith would say, I'm not going to go there. I'm right here with, where the Bible is. I am eternally secure as I rest, as I abide, as I believe in Jesus Christ. There is an assurance I have in my heart that I'm going to heaven and Jesus will never leave me. He will never allow me to go. There's that aspect of it. You know, there's a song, an old song that I, I listen to a lot. It's by the cry. And so if you have um, Apple Music or Spotify, maybe you can look up that song by the cry, K-R-Y. It's called, He Won't Let You Go. Now let me read what it says. It says, He won't let you go the moment that you say, come and live in me. He'll take me all the way. What he said is true. He will never leave you forever by your side. Oh, 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 it's true. That's what the, the song says, right? He won't let you go. Though the seasons change, he's never been so close. He's just a prayer away. When you hear their father's call, he's calling to you. Run into his arms. Don't hesitate to do it. And I will say this, there's no one like Jesus. People might come into your life and they might split. He will never leave you. So I, I believe I'm eternally secure. The Bible says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it until the day of Jesus Christ, Philippians chapter 1. Thank God what we're talking about is a relationship in which a God who loves us will never leave us. He will always be with us. How can you say no to him? And this is what I believe. He will never let you go. So, but at the same time, when I read my Bible, I just, I just say, but please, keep believing. Keep going to church service. I know there's a lot of other things you can do on Sundays, but man, this is God's day. Every day is God's day, but this is when his people gather together to study his word. Keep going to church service. Keep praying. Keep reading your Bible. Keep living your life for him. And you watch what God will do. Last thing I will say is that God wants everyone to be saved. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And so if you're here and you're a Christian, let that burden be on your heart. He wants everyone to be saved. You know, when you go to, you know, CVS, and there's a person behind the corner, and they're ringing up the gum that you're buying, does your heart ache for them? Like, man, I wonder if they know the Lord. When you see these guys, you know, sleeping on the sidewalks, does your heart ache for them? Like God wants them to be saved. You know, my aunt, she's playing, praying for, what's it, that guy, El Chapo? Yeah, she's, he, God wants him to be saved. You know, so for us, we need to have eyes to evangelize. I know you like to live, sometimes some people like to live in their Christian cubby hole, but we have to get out, we have to, 
evangelize in the highways and byways, the valleys and alleys. So I pray for you Christians, you would know that God wants everyone to be saved, and that would spur us on to a heart of evangelism. But number two, that also means that if God wants everyone to be saved, then that means that if you're here today and you don't know the Lord, he wants you to be saved. He loves you so much that he died for you. He won't force you, but he will call you, and he will knock on your heart, and he will say, please, make a decision to follow me. And if you do, it changes your destiny. You know, don't think that you're too bad because there's no one too bad that God can't forgive. But please, don't think you're too good. We all need Jesus. So today, if you want Jesus, just right here, right now, say yes. Yes, Jesus, come into my life. Yes, Jesus, I believe in who you are and what you've done.